Well, it is true that for many of us, we find it uh, very hard to focus. Uh, part of that is that life nowadays is just busy and it's complicated. Uh, we have family responsibilities. We've got pressures at work. We've got projects around the house. We've got to drive little Susie from dance class to drama rehearsal to volleyball practice. Uh, little Melvin has to get from math club to the chess tournament to the young entrepreneurs of society gathering. Uh, we bounce from task to task and event to event. And in the world today, we've got projects and deadlines and responsibilities. And sometimes it feels like they are beyond what we're able to handle. And we know that along the way, there are family members and friends and, and co-workers that we're sure that we're letting down. And sometimes when we lay our head on the pillow at night, we wonder where the day went. And sometimes in, in those quiet moments, it's hard to know what our priorities in life ought to be. And, and we wonder if we're doing the right things. And we wonder what God really thinks about our lives and the way that we spend our time and the things in life that we find ourselves investing in. And that's what we want to think a little bit about this morning. I think this passage is going to help guide that. The questions this morning are, what are your most important priorities in life and are you and I truly focused on them? Are we, given the, are we giving the most attention in our lives to the things that that matter the most. And actually, in the very beginning of the Bible, at the very start of creation, God tells us exactly what our basic priorities in life ought to be. Uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, what you have is you have creation. You have the beginning of all things, the beginning of this world. Life begins in the Garden of Eden, which was a place of perfection and wonder and delight. And, and people were designed to, to walk with God and enjoy Him and enjoy the place that God put them in and enjoy His creation. And at the very start, God gives people four basic areas of responsibility. He tells us four things that we are to focus on, four things that are most important in life. And, and so as we start this morning, I just want to share those with you. This will be, for some of you, just review. But he says there's four things. The first thing he tells us to focus on in Genesis 1 or 2 is uh, on being image bearers. Uh, people are called God's image bearers. God says, let us make man, that is mankind, in our image after our likeness. And so what God does is he creates men and women in his own image. And like a mirror, every person reflects God's image naturally in some ways. Uh, when you see a person who's particularly intelligent or particularly beautiful or particularly artistic, what you are seeing in them is a reflection of some aspect of God. They are that way because God himself is intelligent and beautiful and artistic. And so what we're meant to do is, like a mirror, we gaze upon God. We, we get to know him better, and then we seek to reflect those qualities into our lives. That's basically what godliness is is that we know God, we get to know God more and, and we reflect him more. 
Even the word Christians means little Christ. And the idea is that, that I, in my little way, become who Christ is more and more in a big way. I, I live my life like he would, and I try to imagine how he would live his life if he were in my shoes, and, and I desire and move towards living the same way. That's what it means to be an image bearer. At the very uh, start of creation, God calls us his image bearers. The second thing he tells us to focus on is marriage. Uh, the Bible says in, in Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Second priority in life is marriage. Now, not every person is going to marry, and there are many examples in the Bible of people who are, are single, including Christ himself. But if we do marry, this intimate relationship between a man and a woman is to be a person's most important connection, humanly speaking, in all of life. Uh, the Bible talks about these two people becoming one person, even in that passage. It's mentioned later in Scripture. Uh, one person described this kind of poetically as a, a mingling of souls. And so if you or I are married, our spouse is meant to be our primary human focus and investment in life, and there's no other relationship that takes precedence. We're image bearers. We're to focus on that. We're to focus on our marriage. Thirdly, we're to focus on parenting. God tells people to be fruitful and to multiply. And many people just think of this as referring to sex, which it does include. But it's also parenting. Being fruitful and multiplying includes raising the next generation. It's leaving a legacy. It's teaching our children how to grow up to be image bearers as well. And just beneath marriage, raising children is a sacred calling in life. Now, even if a person doesn't have children, they can still participate in this. Last week during one of the services, I, I peeked my head into the toddler room and I saw my son for the first time I've ever seen this. He was sitting at a table and someone was teaching him the Bible. I, I found out later they were teaching my almost two-year-old the Ten Commandments. He doesn't have them all down yet, but uh, he's working on it. Well, that person was helping me in the responsibility that God gives me to be a parent. And if you're a grandparent or an aunt or a teacher, you participate in God's uh, uh, call uh, of parenting, of being fruitful and multiply. And finally, we're told that we should focus on our work. Uh, God says in Genesis 1 and 2, that he put man in the garden to work it and keep it. We're told to subdue the earth. Adam is given the responsibility of naming all of the animals. And in the Bible, work is considered a blessing and a gift. Uh, God gives us real responsibility and he treats us like adults. And we get to participate in shaping the world. God could have made it already shaped, but we get the satisfaction of, of making a contribution and our work draws out good things in us and it's meant to be a means of providing for our needs and whether you work outside the home or inside the home, whether you're working in your career or you're just getting done the things in life that need to be done. We are designed in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and exhorted to meet the responsibilities that we have in life. And those are the four primary areas of focus in life. There are others that 
unfold throughout Scripture, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure all of them fit those general categories. And everybody, everybody participates, if not in all four of those things, at least uh, many of them. And God gave us these priorities because they're good for us and because through them, again, we shape our world and we ourselves become shaped. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. Then we hit Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where everything takes a turn. Sin enters the world. The world becomes uh, fallen, you might say. It's in a, a state that it was never intended to be in. And each of those four primary areas of life that God describes become corrupted in some way. And now we live up to none of them. And the whole storyline of the Bible unfolds and shows us that we need a Savior. And so God does not just send anyone. He sends His only one. He sends his own son who bleeds and dies for us that we could be forgiven of our sins, restored to relationship with God, and have the hope that one day we will return to a place that is like Eden where everything is right and we are the people in the place that we are intended for. And what we see as we read through the Bible is that one tendency that that sin causes when it comes to these God-given priorities in life is that we tend to begin to put our focus in other places. That the things in life that God gives us to be our primary concern can often become things in life that are our second, secondary concern. And there's lots and lots of examples in life. We could all list them, but I I want to just think for a few minutes about one kind of subtle but important way that this happens in our culture. I think our culture just seems to be really good at making the important things in life, uh, those priorities that Genesis 1 and 2 talked about, look kind of boring, kind of drab, a, a little dull. In our culture today, think about this, we are bombarded all the time with, with lives that seem much, much more interesting than our own. Think about this in, in just a few areas of life. Let, let's start with, with movies and television, okay? When I sit down to watch a movie or to watch TV, what I am seeing when I do that is important people, right? FBI agents, uh, presidents, people who are wealthy and powerful and good-looking, important people doing important things, right? They're saving the world or they're catching criminals or they're marrying the person of their dreams. Important people doing important things with other important people, right? The people that we see on TV often have deep relationships. They have a sense of belonging and purpose. And so whatever I dream about in my world, whatever I desire most deeply and long for in life, I can tune in and I can watch somebody else living it out. And when you go back to folding laundry it's easy to feel like your life is a little lacking, isn't it? Uh, video games take this to the next level. Now, man, many of you don't play video games, but did you know that the video game industry makes more money than the movie industry? That's an, kind of an amazing statement. That was a surprise to me. 
So now what I can do is I can go into my cubicle at work in the morning and I can spend four hours crunching numbers on a spreadsheet. But when lunch comes, for a half an hour, I can fire up my computer or my phone and I can become a Jedi. Or I can become uh, Gandalf. Or I can become super amazing man. I, I can take a, a football team all the way to the Super Bowl. I, I can drive a Ferrari on the Autobahn. I can command a submarine. I, I can colonize space. I can defeat an entire horde of zombies. I can actually win World War II single-handedly. I can build an entire civilization from the ground up, and then I can watch it burn, right? But when, when lunch is over... I've got to go back to my spreadsheet again, right? And it's just not quite as interesting. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, social media is exactly the same way. When you fire up social media, what you get is you have a window into people's lives. You can see their photos and their events. You can know what they're thinking about. But the problem with it is it's really only one window into a curated part of their life. You just see into one room, and it's a room that's organized and set up exactly the way that they want you to see it. And so what you see when you pull open a picture is maybe your neighbor who is spending the day sitting on a beach in southern France, and in the picture he's got a pitcher of lemonade that's sitting next to him. And you think to yourself, man, I, I'm having a colonoscopy today. And <laughs> the only thing sitting next to me is a jug of that white chalky stuff, you know, and it starts to feel a little depressing. There are all kinds of studies that say social media depresses us. That's why. The 24-hour news cycle that we live in can be the same way. We can be always in the know. We can be on the front lines of whatever's happening in the world. We can have a sort of pseudo-omnipresence. We can be anywhere we want to be. And we can sort of have a pseudo-omniscience. We can know all things. But when you turn it off, it, it just sort of feels a little quiet in your living room, right? There's not much that's going on there. We now have even explicit access into other people's bedrooms easily, right? And over time, normal relationships with normal people who look and dress and act normal become dissatisfying to people. You can say a lot more about that. The same thing can be true of books and magazines, sports, music for some people, everyday conversations that, that we have. Uh, advertising is the same way. The whole purpose of advertising is to convince us that something is missing in our life and that this car or this phone or this breakfast taco is what stands between you and happiness. And, and here's the thing. All of this can lead to us feeling like the ordinary routines that we have in life do not have much value. Uh, some people, they, they just endure their own lives, but they virtually try to live in someone else's. And to those people and, and, and to the temptation that is within all of us to do that, this passage here is like a glorious wake-up call. This passage is wonderful, and I want to read it for you one more time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
verses 9 through 12. This is such an interesting piece, I think, of the whole New Testament right here. Maybe you could follow along in your Bible with me. Paul writes, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Okay? What I hope we'll see this morning is this, that when we read this, what, what it talks about here is that the mundane, day-to-day, humdrum events of, of ordinary life, in this passage, they, they all get elevated. And what God does is he injects value and importance and meaning and purpose and, and just a real sense of dignity to things that we often consider just to be very common and uninteresting and, frankly, kind of tiring. And Paul says four things to these people at this church, these people he cares so much about and loves so deeply. He just talks to them about living very simply, and he encourages them in in four areas. And so for the rest of the time, I just want to think about these four areas. The first thing that Paul tells them to do is he tells them to focus on loving more and more. He says, love more and more. And what's interesting is that just before this, he tells them that they've been taught by God how to love. Okay? They were taught by God how to love. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, what that means is, is that Paul was saying to them, love was not something that he had to go in and teach them to do. Okay? When Paul planted this church, it wasn't like they had you know, little meetings about how to love each other, what he's saying is that love is something that is, it's just intuitive to people. Uh, love is placed into our hearts. Love is hardwired within us as people, and love is, is just a part of being made in God's image. Some of you probably saw that story that came out a couple of, a couple of weeks ago in the news about that little toddler who was left in that car, um, and, and he died in the car. The car was too hot, and There have been successive stories since then of that same thing happening. Well, if you read that story, your heart, like a little piece of it, probably broke, right? You you felt real compassion for that child and for that situation. Uh, Nobody taught you that compassion, okay, is Paul's point. You, You had that compassion because God has compassion too, and the reason that you feel that is because you're, you're made in his image. The same thing is true for children with their parents. You don't have to teach a child to love their parent. A child just naturally loves their parent. It's part of who they are, and you don't have to teach a a parent to love their child. That's just the way that life works. And and Paul says here, the same thing is true of, of God's people, that we know what it means to love other people. We don't always do it, but we've all been imprinted with love by the God who is love. We, we love because God is love. And love is perhaps the simplest, most basic, and most profound thing that a person can do. When you, when you love another person, um, it, it is an expression of what godliness really is. 
Right? The Bible defines God as love. It doesn't say that God is loving. It says that God is love, that everything that God does and thinks and says, he does out of love. Even the things in life that are hard for us to understand, God is, is just, he is the very definition of love. And, and Paul says, seek to be like that. Seek to love like God does. Seek to do that more and more and more. He says, make it your priority in life to grow in your love. Now, in, in our world today, we tend to evaluate our day, you know, at, at night as we're getting ready to go to bed or at, at any point that we get a little bit of quiet by asking ourselves, okay, as I went through my day, how much did I accomplish? Uh, did I finish my to-do list? We, we ask ourselves, what did people think of me throughout the day? And was I successful at the things that I was attempting to do and in the person that I was? How did this day turn out exactly? And, and I think the, the Apostle Paul would say the, the best way to evaluate your day is to really ask yourself, how well did I love? How well did I love today? And, and in the end of all of our life, that will be the evaluation of our life. Right? Jesus said the two most important questions is, how well do you love God and how well do you love other people? And when we try to live a life like that each and every day, eventually it adds up into a life of love. So Paul says, work on loving more and more. Make that a focus of yours and a priority. Paul uh, then says, number two, he says, aspire to live quietly. Aspire to live quietly. Uh, this is a really interesting phrase because it's actually an oxymoron. Okay? If you think about it, this is an oxymoron. Uh, to aspire towards something is to deeply desire it and to work hard towards it. And, and living quietly is just like peace, right? Living quietly and aspiring, it just seems so opposite. But the, the idea of, of being quiet is... Just having an inner sense of calm and focus and simplicity and, and rest. Maybe one of the best definitions of this would be what Jesus said in John 14.1. This is a great sentence, especially for people who, who tend to be very anxious. And Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Okay? What a great statement. Don't ever let your hearts be troubled. He says, trust in God and trust in me, right? That's, that's living quietly. And, and this statement of Jesus and the fact that he wants us to experience this is one of the great reasons that the Christian life is such a joy and not a burden. People often think of the Christian life as, as do, 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 but that's because we live in a world that is constantly saying to us, do, 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 achieve, 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 Earn, earn, earn. And what Jesus says is, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. Trust God. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life, light. The Christian life is meant to be a life of internal rest. And, and there's so many areas that we could think about in that. But I, I want to just keep, I just want to make one point this morning, okay? In, in a couple sentences, Paul's going to talk about the value of 
working hard in life. This, in some ways, speaks against overwork. Okay, so I want to say this to kind of balance out that, and I'm going to say that to balance out this, if that makes sense. Okay, uh, being busy in life is is good. Being busy in life is not a bad thing, but being constantly hurried in life is not a good thing. Work is good. We learn that in Genesis 1 and 2, but overwork can kill you. We learn that from our doctors, right? We don't need the Bible to tell us that overwork can kill us. Now, there are seasons in life where people have to work more than they would want to, where people have to overwork. Sometimes they have no other option, and they just have to gut it out because it's just the way that life is. There's no choice, and that's honorable. That's that's good. That's a sacrifice that a person makes for their family. But other times, it really is a choice. Overwork really can be a choice. And sometimes people get on the treadmill of, of, of working too hard because they must, but then they're, they're not sure how to get off of it again. Uh, for some people, their life is their work. And these are sometimes people who they, they overwork in their career, uh, a person can overwork even if they're not working in, in a typical career. They can be uh, perfectionistic about having a clean house or always saying yes to anything and everyone that asks them, yes, 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 yes. They, 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 they just feel this need to keep doing and doing and doing and going and going and going. And in the business world, what's hard is that this is viewed as being a very good quality. If someone tells you in the business world that you overwork, it's a compliment. In American culture, it's, it seem, it's seen as, as, as a, a good thing for people. Uh, but in the Bible, this is viewed as a serious flaw. Overwork is, is viewed as a serious character flaw sometimes. Sometimes I think it's viewed just as sin. And I think that that's the reason why Paul uses this word, aspire. Aspire to live a quiet life. I think he says that because he knows that it's really, really hard to do. Uh, In a culture that tells us to do, 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 it's really hard sometimes uh, just to, to stop. And that's one thing I love about this phrase. And what we do, the way that we handle overwork, I think, is, is just the way that we handle anything else in our life that needs to be worked on. We, we repent of it. We don't just try to stop on our own. Uh, we don't just try to take a break, but we, we confess to God that for some reason, whatever it is, we feel this need in our life to, like Mary and Martha, just go, go, go. And and we ask God, would, would you help me with that? Would you teach me what it is that I need to learn and know? Would, would you help me to make a turnaround in my life that way? And, and what we do is we invite God to help. I want you to imagine just for a second what your life would be like if you really did not let your heart be troubled. Imagine walking through your life without a troubled heart, with a heart that really did trust God, with a heart that really did depend on Jesus, with a heart that wasn't always hurried and on the go. That's what God wants for you. 
That's another proof that God loves you very much and wants relationship with you. In order to do that, though, we've, we've got to have some quiet in life. We've got to have some margin and some space. We've got to have some rest. And this is the place that God wants us to be. We, we live a, a quiet life. doesn't mean that life isn't busy. It just means that our hearts, our spirits are, are unhurried. So Paul says, aspire. Work really hard to live quietly. The third thing of four, he says, is mind your own affairs. Okay? This is uh, pretty self-explanatory. Another translation of this could just be to butt out, right? I think that's what the Greek word means is butt out. Keep your nose out of other people's business. What he's saying, again, is something that's really meant to free us. He says, stop caring about what other people are doing and saying and thinking. You know, steer clear of gossip and scuttlebutt and whispers and tittle-tattle. Don't have anything to do with that. It's a, it's a freedom from allowing the image that other people project to get under your skin. And it's the freedom of not having to project an image to other people yourself. He, he, he says, you know, just live your life that, that lets people do their own thing and you do your own thing too. Mind your own affairs. Think about your, yourself. And, and that's, again, that's another part of, of having a restful heart, that we aren't constantly comparing ourselves to other people and winning and losing and winning and losing. He says, mind your own affairs. And finally, he says this. He says, work with your hands. Work with your hands. He says, just, just like you were taught, work with your hands so that you can walk properly before outsiders and so that you won't be dependent on anybody, he says. Work with your hands. Now, the context of this is important to understand. Uh, there were some people who in this church apparently did not want to work. What they thought was that Jesus was going to be coming back really soon, so why not just... Uh, Quit our jobs, sip a pina colada, and we'll wait for that to happen. Everything will be fine. And what their expectation was, was that some, some wealthy individuals who apparently existed in this church would take care of them and supply their needs. And Paul in this passage is saying, uh-uh, no. He says, that's not going to happen. Now, in Greek culture, what, what happened was they tended to devalue manual labor. Okay, working with their hands. The Greeks did not think that that, that was something to be, uh, to be done, right? In the Bible, it's very different. Uh, in the Bible, uh, manual labor is given great value. Jesus was a carpenter, right? So many, some of you, many of you, I, I'm looking at people now I know are carpenters. I hope that as you go about doing your carpentry, there are times that you think, Jesus, the Son of God, did the same job, this, this same work, you know. And, Tom, I know you're building a deck right now, and he might have built a deck too. I don't know if they had decks back then, but if they did, he, he, he would have built one. And so you do the same thing as the Son of God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, this important figure, supplied for his, his needs by making tents. And, and so all legitimate work in life is honorable, and it's good, and it's godly, and that is true, biblically speaking, for even the most menial tasks. Uh, in fact, in, in some ways, the most menial tasks in life have the greatest value. And you know where I think we, you really see this is in single moms. 
In single moms, I, I think you really see this um, worked out. Or in families that have special needs children, I think that you see this too. But there's two single moms in our church that I think of actually somewhat often. Um, my wife and I have two kids that are really young, and our, um, our way of working is divide and conquer as parents, you know. So I go to the work, I go to work during the day. Katie's able to stay home, so she does that. She gets the house stuff done. When I get home, I'm in kid mode. She's taking care of dinner. We eat dinner. One of us usually cleans up the kitchen. The other one puts the kids to bed, and then we're exhausted by the time, you know, that night is over. And it hasn't been the most exciting night for, for any of us usually. But I, I think about, um, about single moms, you know. It's just them. It's just them. They have to do all of those things solo. So they're supporting themselves with a job, but then all the responsibilities, the grocery shopping, the wiping noses, the diaper changes, all of that goes to them. And I, I, I've often thought to myself, I do, I do not know how they do that. We have a single mom in the church who is also a parent of a, of a special needs child. And, and I think, how does this woman do this? How does she accomplish so much of just the, the ordinary responsibilities in life? And all of those things pile up, and, and what you realize is it's extraordinary. Her life, which is so full of ordinary things, becomes extraordinary in the way that she takes these things on. And here's what I want you to consider is that's no different for anyone who embraces their God-given responsibilities in life. Your faithfulness in life to get things done, your faithfulness in taking care of the things that God has entrusted you with, going to work day in and day out and being an honest employee who works hard and has integrity, doing the dishes at home and waiting 10 minutes for them to pile up again and then doing them all over again. Right? Doing all things to the glory of God with a, a good attitude and a thankful heart is honorable and it's godly and it brings joy to the heart of God. And Paul says here that when you live that way, that kind of living makes Christianity look good to outsiders. That your, your big faith is highlighted by these, these daily little expressions of faithfulness along the way. Don't let anyone tell you, don't let anyone make you think that your life is bland or that it's meaningless or that it is somehow less than someone else's life. And God gives great value to the tedious tasks that we have to do day in and day out. Just to end this little section, I, I just want to say something to young people. I, I think there will be more young people in the next service, uh, high school and college age. They don't get up this early. But, you know, we, we live in a culture that wrongly worships youthfulness. And many times what happens is that a young person starts to get a little bit older, right? They turn 20 or they turn 25, and, and they look back and they think, man, where, where's my youth gone? And they, they kind of freak out. And oftentimes what they do is they try to hang on to their youthfulness. We call it extended adolescence where they, they then you know, focus on continuing to be an adolescent into later, um, later age in, in life. M- many people believe that life is over at 30. 
Well, growing old is hard. I haven't grown old yet, but I've witnessed people grow old. People were not meant to grow old. Okay, that was never a part of the way that God intended this world to go. Uh, illness is something that we're not meant to experience. Arthritis is something we're not meant to experience. Our friends and other people in our life dying and dying ourselves is not something that we're meant to experience. And hopefully, as a person does grow old, they have a life of following Christ behind them to sort of fuel what they will need as they face those things. Growing old is hard, but growing up is a great blessing. Growing up is a great blessing. And sometimes young people feel like the responsibilities of adulthood is just a lot of weight. And what I think the Bible teaches us is it may be a lot of weight, but we were meant to carry it. We are meant to carry the responsibilities of adulthood. And and when you put a little space between your teenage years and your adult years, and when you really decide to take on those God-given responsibilities in life, I don't know anybody who really wants to go back. We were made for that. And I just encourage you, if you're a younger person, don't be afraid to grow up. Uh, don't listen to a culture that says that, that staying young is where it's all at. Embrace adulthood. Take on your God-given responsibilities in life. Well, <clears throat> let me just close with a few more words quickly. You are the only one who can live your life. I know that's like the most obvious statement in the whole world, right? I know you know that already. But it's, it's really an important statement, I think. You are the only one who can live your life. You are the only one who can reflect the image of God in the unique ways that he has created you in your own image. You're the only one, if you're married, who can love your spouse the way that he loves the way that Christ loves the church, his people. You're the only one who has the opportunity to do that. Uh, only you can be your children's mom or dad or someone's aunt or uncle or grandparent or teacher. And there is nobody else in the history of the world who can fulfill the responsibilities that God has given you in your life. And whatever the responsibilities are that are right in front of you, those things are your sacred calling in life. And what will be most valuable to you and to me at the end of our life is that we fulfilled them. I really believe that in our day, people who embrace the ordinary are extraordinary people. Uh, people who don't try to escape their own life to live in someone else's are very uncommon I think people who act their own age and live up to their calling and who rest well and who work hard and who seek to live a legacy are spectacularly bizarre people. And whether you feel like you're humdrum day-to-day, -day, been there, done that, responsibilities in life are really worthwhile or not. doesn't matter. What matters is God says they are. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you that you created us. We know that, that sin and the fall of the world has really messed things up. This is not the world that we want. But we thank you that we will one day, because of what your son has done, and for those who have trusted in his uh, forgiveness of our sins through his death, that we one day will experience all that we're meant to. Thank you that in the meantime, you give us real responsibility and you give us the the freedom and ability and and strength to move towards fulfilling them. Uh, Thank you that you give our life meaning and dignity and worth. And we're just reminded again of all the little ways that you love us that that sometimes we, we forget about or in the, in the busyness of the day we, we miss. Thank you that this passage reminds us of those things this morning, and we pray that we might be able to aspire to live this kind of quiet life. In Jesus' name, amen.